Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com, who are also producers of EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray Garendi. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host on this most special week, the Great Week, the Week of the Bridegroom, also known as Holy Week. In the Byzantine Catholic Church, we like to call it the Week of the Bridegroom because this is the week in which we prepare ourselves as the Bride of Christ to meet our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. In the mystical union, the mystical consummation of the mystical marriage between God and his people. This is what it's all about. This is what Lent and everything else we've been working on and talking about and praying about has been leading up to this week of the bridegroom. And throughout this week, we walk with Christ on his way to Calvary to his suffering, death, and resurrection. And the services this week are extremely rich, extremely deep, filled with scripture references, readings, and magnificent and deep and moving liturgical text. In fact, to just kind of set the stage to get the feel of it, we're going to listen to the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Choir as it sings one of the most beautiful and moving of all of the Holy Week hymns. It's called the grieving mother. It's a song in which we hear the Virgin Mary grieving for her son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hangs upon the cross.
As you can see, it is a very moving chant. And usually in the Byzantine tradition, in most of the Eastern churches, whenever we portray the Mother of God, we seldom focus that graphically on her suffering. In fact, that's a kind of a, a rule for most of the Eastern approach to theology and scripture and liturgy, as we don't focus as clearly, as closely as the Western church does on the human dimension of suffering. Again, neither way is better or worse. They're, in fact, they need each other. It's a, it's a complementary way. The West focuses very much on the human suffering, drawing us into that mystery of Christ's suffering on the cross and the, the heartache of his mother. In the East, we generally don't focus as much on the human suffering, kind of point more to the sort of the theological significance of it all, sort of the ultimate meaning of it all. However, during Holy Week, and with hymns like this, and also with certain services, we actually, in the Eastern churches, delve very deeply into the grieving heart of the Mother of God. One of those particular services is the Midnight Office, or sometimes called the Lamentations, which will be done on the night of Great Friday, when we have laid Christ dead in the tomb, which is in the middle of the church. And we will chant and sing the Midnight Office. And here are some of the verses, the text from this office. And again, it's hearing from the, the heart of the Mother of God as she stands there by the cross looking at her son. When she beheld her son and Lord hanging on the cross, the pure virgin was torn by grief and weeping bitterly with the other women, she cried out, Woe is me. I see thee, dearest and beloved child, hanging on the cross, and my heart is wounded bitterly, said the pure virgin. But in thy love speak some word to thy handmaiden. Sun that never sets, O pre-eternal God and creator of all things, how do you endure suffering upon the cross, said the all-pure one weeping. Lamenting the virgin mother said to Joseph, O Joseph, go in haste to Pilate, and ask to take down the master from the tree. Seeing the most pure, shedding bitter tears, Joseph was troubled and came in sorrow to Pilate, crying aloud, Give me the body of my Lord. I see thee bruised and wounded without glory, stripped upon the cross, O my child, and my heart burns, said the virgin, sorrowing with the mother's grief. Here are some other verses. In my arms I hold thee as a corpse, O loving Lord, who has brought the dead to life. Grievously is my heart wounded, and I long to die with thee, said the all-pure for I cannot bear to look upon thee lifeless and without breath. O God, supreme in love, O all Lord, O merciful, I am filled with horror as I see thee dishonored, lifeless, without beauty, stripped, and I weep as I hold thee. Woe is me, I never thought to look upon thee this way, my son. Now, one of the most moving ones for me is this verse, and again, we're talking about the Midnight Office on Great and Holy Friday in the Byzantine liturgical tradition. And this is where we're singing these chants, these magnificently moving chants, in the presence of Christ's body, which is painted on a shroud, it was laid in a tomb. There's actually a structure, it, it, it symbolizes the tomb, the Holy Sepulchre, that we lay Christ in that sepulchre. And we do that during the Vesper service. This verse is especially moving. And again, we hear from the Mother of God. Seeing her own lamb led to the slaughter, Mary, his mother, followed him with the other woman, and in her grief she cried, Where do you go, my child? Why do you run so swiftly? Is there another wedding in Cana? And are you hastening there to turn the water into wine? Shall I go with you, my child, or shall I wait for you? Speak some word to me, O word. Do not pass me by in silence. You have preserved my virginity, and thou art my son and God. 
We'll look more at the grieving heart of the Mother of God when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leo on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And like Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish on Facebook. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Live in a palace, but stay poor. And now, a Szeptycki Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1939, the great Catherine Doherty, founder of Madonna House in Canada and a protege of Dorothy Day, visited Archbishop Andrei Szeptycki in his palace in Ukraine. Szeptycki himself was an aristocrat, but this is how Doherty describes her visit. I was ushered into a parlor furnished with the utmost simplicity. Why was it that my mind suddenly imagined a Assisi? Something in the poverty of the palace brought St. Francis to mind, for I knew that Count Szeptycki was very wealthy. Later, my guess was confirmed by an old peasant woman whom I asked why everything was so poor and shabby. She answered, oh, didn't you know? The archbishop never spends anything on himself, his comfort or food. It all goes to his poor and his many works of mercy. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit szeptyckiinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y Institute dot C-A. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lyne. This most solemn and marvelous week, the week, the great week, the week of the bridegroom, Holy Week. And we're focusing for the moment on the grieving of the Mother of God, which is rather unusual in its presentation in the Eastern churches. We don't focus as much on the human dimension. We do touch on it, definitely, but we don't focus as much on it. And that's the difference between the East and the West. Again, it's a difference of emphasis, not something better or worse or right or wrong. Now, in the last one that I read just before the break, one of the reasons why it's so moving to me is because we hear the Mother of God almost asking her son, almost trying to convince herself that surely you're going to something wonderful. You're not going to something bad. Like you're going to another wedding, you know, something joyful. And she doesn't understand why is he hastening to wherever it is he's going. And she hopes that it's something wonderful, almost like she's trying to convince herself to spare herself this grief. Very, very powerful liturgical text. But throughout this week, we focus not only on the grief of the mother of God, but we actually walk with Christ through that journey to Calvary. And each day of the week, we have a specific theme and focus with the readings and the liturgical text. Those of you in the Latin Rite are familiar with the Tritium. Well, we have more than just a Tritium. We actually start on Monday. Well, technically Palm Sunday, especially in the evening of Palm Sunday. But each day of the week, not just three days. Yeah, the last three are the most spectacular. Yes, the most significant. But we actually have a theme each day of this week. Monday, The Passion of Christ is prefigured in the Old Testament story of Joseph. 
And Joseph symbolizes Christ's unjust suffering, but also his triumph over that and his modeling of forgiveness and purity. And our readings are from Matthew 21, Ezekiel chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1, and the book of Job chapter 1. Then on Tuesday, our attention is directed to the parable of the ten virgins, teaching us to be ready for judgment day, ready for the coming of the bridegroom. That's what we call it, the week of the bridegroom. And our readings are from Matthew 24 and from Luke chapter 1, again from Ezekiel and from Job. On Wednesday, we commemorate the repentant harlot to anointed Christ's feet, and we contrast her with Judas's agreement made this day to betray Jesus. And on this day, that the priest also anoints the worshipers during the pre-sanctified liturgy in the evening. And the anointing is to heal our souls and bodies in preparation for the next commemoration of the mystical supper. So it's a kind of a preparation for Eucharist, which we celebrate the next day on Holy Thursday. And we anoint ourselves with anointing of the sick because, as we say in the prayers in the Eastern Church, the anointing is for the healing of body and soul. So there's always that, again, that both-and spirituality where we cannot be healed physically without being healed spiritually and vice versa. So it's a matter of our total healing. Just as Lent has been a journey to our total repentance, our total renewal, so too our total purification, our total healing of body and soul occurs through this anointing. Because sin is considered to be a sickness, sickness of the soul which affects the body. So the two are inseparable. They're different entities, body and soul, but they're inseparable. And so as you heal one, you heal the other and vice versa. And so we are anointed for the healing of our soul and body, the forgiveness of our sins. And as I mentioned, we have these contrasts between the harlot, the repentant harlot who anointed Christ's feet and dried his feet with her hair, and also with the betraying Judas. Listen to some of these liturgical texts that contrast these two. While the sinful woman brought oil of myrrh, the disciple came to an agreement with the transgressors. She rejoiced to pour out what was very precious. He made haste to sell the one who was above all price. She acknowledged Christ as Lord. He severed himself from the master. She was set free, but Judas became the slave of the enemy. Grievous was his lack of love. Great was her repentance. Grant such repentance also unto me, O Savior, who have suffered for our sake and save us. Now notice how as we contrast the persons from the scripture, the scriptural events, that we draw ourselves into them. These events are our events. These people in the scripture, Judas, the heart, that's us. And so we always end these meditations Although they're, they're from the scriptures, they draw us into the scripture, they're, they're paraphrasing or actual phrases of the scripture, nonetheless, we always end them in our prayer in the Byzantine church by referring to ourselves. In other words, asking Christ to forgive us or asking Christ to help us become like those in the story who maybe had repented or to be unlike those who did wrong, such as Judas. Let's listen to another one. O son of the virgin, the harlot knew you to be God, and she prayed to you lamenting. For she had committed sins worthy of tears. Loose me from my debt, she cried, as I unloose my hair. Show love to her who loves you, though rightly she deserves your hatred. And with the publicans I shall proclaim you, O benefactor who love mankind. The harlot mingled precious oil of myrrh with her tears and poured it on your most pure feet. As she kissed them, and straightway you have proclaimed her justified. To us also grant forgiveness, O Lord, who have suffered for our sake, and save us. 
the harlot spread out her hair before you, O master, while Judas stretched out his hands to the transgressors, she to receive forgiveness, and he to receive money. Therefore we cry aloud to you, who was sold and has set us free. O Lord, glory to you. So you see the very clever contrasting of the images and the, the events, the persons of the harlot and also of Judas in these liturgical texts. So that's Wednesday. Now we move on to Thursday. And Thursday we begin with the bridegroom matins. And there are four events celebrated today. It's a very rich day, Thursday, in the great week. Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And this is celebrated in the Byzantine churches, not in parishes. It's always celebrated at the cathedral with the bishop. The priests don't wash feet, just the bishop does in the Byzantine church. So it's washing of the feet of the disciples. It's the institution of the Eucharist, of course, from the mystical, the Last Supper, the ag in the garden, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. The readings for today come from Matthew, John, and also in the Old Testament from Exodus 19, Jeremiah chapters 11 and 12, Isaiah chapter 50, and Job chapter 38. We also read from 1 Corinthians as well. It's a very significant day, very, very full day, and one that's very special to me as a priest, because I think of each time when I celebrate the Eucharist, I think about that first Last Supper, that first mystical supper. Now we move on to Great Friday, another very, very rich day. In the morning, we begin the Matins, which involves a reading of 12 Passion Gospels. And people sometimes say, 12 Gospels? I thought there's only four. Well, there's only four Gospels per se, but we read 12 Gospels. We do 12 readings because they're all parts of the entire suffering, you know, the, the suffering to death of Jesus Christ from all four Gospels, each part of the narrative. And so as each one presents that narrative, we sort of take all the sections of that and it ends up being 12 Gospels. So we have the 12, it's called the 12 Passion Gospels. Then at noon, we do the Royal Hours. And then in the evening, we have the evening Vesper service. And it is that service that we have the very dramatic laying in the tomb of Jesus's body, which is painted on a shroud something like the Shroud of Turin. So the priest takes this shroud, which is on the altar. He takes it and holds it above his head, or it's held above his head by other men. And they walk with him, carrying this shroud above him, as though he were Joseph Arimathea, who took the body down from the cross. The lights are dimmed in the church. Only the candles are lit. There's a very solemn melody that is chanted. And the priest very solemnly goes in procession, the people following behind him with lighted candles. Then he reverently lays that shroud, that body of Christ, in the tomb, incenses it, prostrates before it, the people are chanting, and then everyone comes in to the church for the procession, and they usually come in on their knees, and they crawl to the sepulcher, they crawl to the tomb with the shroud of Christ, and they venerate that shroud by kissing the image of Christ on the places of his wounds, and his head, his hands, his side, and his feet. And then, throughout the night, there was an all-night vigil at the tomb, and we take on the posture of the guards at the tomb, who were told to stand there, guard all night, to make sure no one would steal his body and fake the resurrection. So we sort of take on that posture of the guards guarding the tomb. But it also is what our Latinite brethren would recognize as a holy hour. Actually, it's throughout, the kind of like perpetual adoration. It's a time when the church is open throughout the night for people just to come and pray. They sign up for at least one hour. You can stay longer, but at least one hour. 
We have a great tradition in our parish of Annunciation of Homer Glen of the children, especially the teenagers, spending the night at the tomb. And many of them will sing and chant the psalms, all the psalms throughout the night. It's a very inspiring witness by the young people, but they get very much caught up in this celebration, observance of the passion and death of Christ through the magnificent liturgical text and ritual and gestures of the Byzantine church. And finally, we come to Great and Holy Saturday with the magnificent Jerusalem Matins. It's where we commemorate Christ being asleep in the tomb, a Sabbath rest as we sing. And later that evening, he will enter into Hades and do battle with the devil and finally break the power of the devil, break the bonds of death, and release those held captive and bring them to the next day, which is the resurrection. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>